I'd like to open today's message with a scripture from Psalm 145. It'll be on the screen. Before I say that, I just want to say it's so good to see everyone today. It's good to see folks back. Um, it's good to see you making church a moment that you prioritize in your life. And it's, uh, man, such a gift to be with you today. So this is Psalm 145, verses 5 through 13. It's a bit of Bible, but it really helps really set the stage for uh, the close of our teaching today. So it says this. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness, and they will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will, give, they will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. Amen. Well, good morning once again. Glad you're here. As I just mentioned, we are going to be wrapping up our really incredible teaching series on the Lord's Prayer called Our Father in Heaven. And, and I don't know about you, but it really was eye-opening for me. It was eye-opening for me. And most churches, they might go through this Lord's Prayer in like a week or two, but we dragged it out low and slow for six weeks. We covered five verses in six weeks. But it was absolutely worth it, right? I learned so much about God's heart for his people and how as his people, God wants nothing more than just to know us and be known by us. God wants nothing more than to hear from us. As a good father who loves his kids, God wants to talk, and he wants to talk about anything. He wants to talk about everything, but, but not just something that we need. I mean, he wants to hear about it, but that's not all he wants to hear. No, God wants to be so intimately connected with his people that we trust him with everything. This is what we've learned, that we trust him with our future, that we trust him with our with our future direction, our provision, and our forgiveness, that we would look to him for what's next in all things, not just huge life decisions, but the day-to-day, everyday, mundane choices that might otherwise seem inconsequential. God, God, God wants to talk about those things too. God wants to know everything about you and be known by you in so many ways. And, and again, not just to tell you what to do, but to encourage you along the way on this road of faith. This is our, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven is a good dad that wants to see his kids thrive in this life, but also eternal life that is to come. And that's the Lord's Prayer. That's what we learned over the past six weeks. But now we are at the conclusion. We are at the end and amen. So if you would, quickly, why don't we stand and recite this together? We're going to pray this as one voice, one family for the last time regularly from Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. And if it's all right, I actually prefer that, that you would lead this out. 
So in this manner, therefore pray. It's on you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. If you're taking notes today, which I always recommend, I'd like to call the conclusion of this series, The End and Amen. The End and Amen. And as I was studying for today, this past week, um, with our pastors, we were sitting in Manny's office, looking through all these commentaries, all this information, all this context. Um, I was actually reminded of what might be my favorite guilty pleasure of the upcoming Advent and holiday season, and, and that is without a doubt, Hallmark Christmas movies. And listen, I know that I've talked to you about this before, which only goes to reinforce my love and my passion for Hallmark Christmas movies. Um, does anyone else like Hallmark Christmas? You know, like as soon as Halloween's over, it starts to go on repeat all the time. But I'm aware, listen, I'm aware that they're typically not excellent movies, okay? I, I, get, I get that. I don't, I, you, living in Los Angeles, you never know if someone in the room has been a part of them, and so I'm not going to not going to throw anyone under, under any buses, but, but they're not typically like the, 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 greatest, the greatest movies, but there's an innocence to them. And there's a simplicity that always draws me in, especially after such a crazy couple years that we've had. I just don't need any more elective stress in my life. And so when I turn on the TV, I just, sometimes, I just need something that's, that's a little bit peaceful. You know what I mean? But the one thing about Hallmark Christmas movies that just drives me nuts, and if anyone knows, the producers or anyone high up, okay, you let them know. One thing that just drives me nuts is the lack of a satisfying ending. You know what I mean? Every single time. You have this buildup, right? You got all this story, all this character development, which leads you to care about the future of this handsome male widower whose car broke down outside a Christmas tree farm. <laughs> and it leads you to care about the female lead from the city who recently inherited the Christmas tree farm, who you later find out they used to date in high school and, and before she took off to pursue her dreams of being a CEO in marketing in the big city, right? But then they reunite after his car breaks down and, and he has this random encounter at a coffee shop or a bakery only to have an unexpected minor conflict to which they resolve in the climax and then they're outside under the stars and they kiss and it's over. <laughs> I feel like it's a formula that they fill in every time, but it's over. There's all this story, all this buildup, all this investment, then they, they kiss and it's done. But we never know what happens, right? We never know what happens to that Christmas tree farm. We never find out if that little boy attaches to the new woman. Like, we don't know anything about what happens next. We don't get resolution. It just kind of fades into nothing. Leaving you hanging, trying to imagine what might happen on your own. The movies don't end. They're just over. They're just over. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor, Though I deeply appreciate your love for the holidays and sappy romantic comedies, what in the world are you getting at? I'm so glad you asked. 
Well, in the same way, and I say this with a whole lot of grace and reverence, in the same way that Hallmark gives us this buildup, all these details of what is, then leaves us hanging, Jesus. In Matthew 6, in the Lord's Prayer, he pretty much does the same thing. He does the same thing. He skips the end. In the Sermon on the Mount, if you picture this, he's speaking to his disciples, and the disciples say, Jesus, this is the first thing they ask him, Jesus, teach us how to pray like you. Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus, he says, when you pray, pray like this. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I kind of picture, you know, the disciples sitting on the side of the hill. They get out their pen and paper, metaphorically, and they start taking notes. They're like, okay, our Father in heaven, got it. Okay, cool. And then, and then Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Disciples, again, they're over here. They're like, okay, got it, cool. Give us this day our daily bread. Got it, Jesus, great. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Okay, I got that down. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Sounds good, Jesus. Is that, is that, is that um, what, what's, what's next? And they look up, anything else? But Jesus, he had already moved on into verse 14, and he, and he immediately jumps back into forgiveness. If you remember in the Bible, it says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will for, forgive you. Matthew 6, supported by Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 11, Jesus raps on temptation and the evil one, and then it's just it's just done. There's all this buildup, but no satisfying conclusion. There's no amen in the prayer. Now, you might be thinking, but what about yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? Amen. There's the amen, Pastor. I mean, we've been reciting it, reciting it every week. How, how, that's how the Lord's Prayer ends. And I'm going to say yes and no. Yes and no. Because the final piece that we're looking at today, the end, the amen, it's not actually included in most translations of our Bibles. It's not on the verse because there's no actually, there's no record of Jesus actually saying it. And so this final piece, the end, the amen, yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory, amen. It's, it's not given a verse number. If you look closely at your Bibles, it's not given a verse number. It's actually given a footnote letter because according to scholars, it wasn't written into the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, it's not even first seen in the scriptures until the end of the first century, the beginning of the second century AD. So, if it was added to the Gospel later, and Jesus didn't say it during the Sermon on the Mount, then where the heck does it come from, right? And why do we say it? Why has it become this recited, declaration in prayer. Well, that's where it gets a little interesting and where some of the pastors and I, like, we just spent so much time crunching this to make sure that we had a clear understanding to be able to teach you today. Well, to understand the end and the amen of the Lord's Prayer from the footnote of Matthew 6, 13, we must first go back, way back, to take a closer look at a Jewish form of prayer and worship practiced by the early church from which it came. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be jumping way back to the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. If you're taking notes, write that down. If you have your Bibles, get it out. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen behind me. In this moment, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, it's a moment captured in the scriptures where King David is handing over the reins of the kingdom of Israel to his anointed son Solomon, King Solomon, approximately 
970 years before Jesus. That's about 3,000 years ago. And while this moment is massively important for a number of reasons, obviously it's the handoff of power from one king to the next, it was also the, um, the, the dedication of the temple in, uh, in their day. So it, it has a lot of importance, but the, the thing that we'll be looking at this morning from Chronicles 29 is this prayer, this form of prayer that's said to find its origins here in the doxology that David gives. And again, Chronicles 29, we're going to be looking at verse 10. And I think you'll notice, actually, a few similarities between what we're reading here and what we find in the Lord's Prayer, but especially in the doxology of the Lord's Prayer, this last piece. Check it out. King David says, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory and majesty, for all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Some interesting similarities. But let me go back one more time to just highlight some connections quickly. Verse 10 says, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Amen. This is bringing us back to Matthew 6. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory. That's the end, right? It's the benediction, the doxology from Matthew 6.13. The victory and the majesty, all that, in heaven, all that is in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. Matthew 6, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. Daily bread, Matthew 6. And you reign over all. Your kingdom come, your will be done, Matthew 6. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Hallowed be your name, Matthew 6. Pretty cool, right? There's some obvious connections and parallels between what we see from Jesus in the Lord's Prayer and David's prayer in 1 uh, Chronicles 29, but even more so in that end statement, in that added statement to the Lord's Prayer, the end and the amen of this doxology, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. It's almost verbatim. So what's the deal? Well, like I mentioned a moment ago, David's words here, they, they created a new form of prayer and doxology that the NIV application commentary calls accumulation. Can you say that with me real quick? Accumulation. It's kind of fun to say one more time. Accumulation. Oh, cool. And, and accumulation is basically the stacking of adjectives or honoring descriptives to help highlight or elevate a subject. It's the stacking of adjectives to help elevate a subject that you're referring to, accumulation. And First Chronicles, in this passage in First Chronicles, David, he, he piles it on, right? Take a look at this one more time. 
so many descriptors. He says, blessed are you, that's one. Lord God, two, forever and ever. Three, yours is the greatness. Four, the power. Five, glory. Six, victory and majesty. Seven and eight, yours is the kingdom. Nine, you are exalted over all. Ten, riches and honor come from you, God. Eleven, your reign over all. Twelve, therefore we praise your glorious name. Thirteen, thirteen adjectives. 13 descriptors in one segment of prayer. And you might be thinking, seems a little excessive, David. Seems a little over the top. But listen, the point of this worship isn't to exaggerate. It's not to exaggerate or wax eloquent or to sound important or try to like butter up God to get what you want. No, rather the stacking of adjectives was simply to acknowledge who God is by acknowledging what God does and what God is like. It's saying to God in prayer that I know you. You know, like when, when in the movie Elf, when like uh, Buddy shows up and sees Santa at like the, the place and he walks and he's like, I know you, that's what we're talking about here. I know you, I know these things about you. In prayer, it's saying, I know who you really are and I want everyone to know too. I see the real you, and I praise you for it. This is accumulation. And I think for us today, this type of amen, this type of affirmation seems pretty normal. I, I, I mean, I, I think back to like when Rebecca, my wife and I first started dating. I constantly saw her through this endless list of adjectives, you know, and the list only grew the more I knew her. The more time I spent with her, I was at the very beginning, I was like, Rebecca, you're, you're so beautiful. Rebecca, you've captured my heart. Rebecca, I love your smile. Rebecca, I love thinking about you. Your southern fire challenges me. Your passion for the neglected inspires me. Rebecca, you're smart, you're funny, you're clever. And did I mention you're beautiful? I could talk about your beauty all day long. There's so many affirmed descriptions when I think about Rebecca. But that's just how we see the world. We see it through color. We see it through description and adjectives. Still, it's not until this moment in Chronicles 29 that we see the stacking of characteristics being widely practiced in Jewish worship. It was a practice that was then carried over into the New Testament, into the early church with doxologies, with ends and amens shared to describe, stacked the greatness of God. We actually have a few of them. They'll be up on the screen. There's our doxologies from the New Testament, from 1 Timothy. You'll see this. It says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. From Jude, verse 25, all glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. And then one more in Revelation 7. These are the angels. They sing, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength. You've seen this pile up, right? All blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength, strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. And this is just a fraction of the accumulation 
In prayer, we see throughout the scriptures, doxologies focused on declaring back to God who they believe he really is. Now, okay, back to Matthew 6, the end and the amen to the Lord's Prayer. We find this doxology as a footnote to verse 13, inspired by Chronicles 29. And we see it saying, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. And it's attached to the Lord's Prayer, but it's not included in the Lord's Prayer. Why not? Two quick things. First, it's not included because Jesus didn't say it. And Jesus didn't say it because, I know this is going to be a shock, but because Jesus wasn't praying. Jesus was teaching. Jesus was teaching them. The disciples asked them how to pray, and so Jesus taught them how to pray. He wasn't praying for them. He was showing them how to pray. He gave them instructions for how to speak to their good Father in heaven, for how to honor him, for how to refocus their hearts and minds on who he really is, his kindness, his provision, his mercy, his direction, his holiness. Jesus wasn't praying for them in Matthew 6. He was teaching them how to talk to God and how to approach God. And so he gave them the greeting, our Father in heaven. He gave them the context he gave them the build-up. He gave them the petition and even the confession. It was a master class on instruction. But it came with no ending. Why not? This is the second piece. Because even though Jesus wants us to know how to pray, how to address our good Father in heaven, what we should be speaking about, Jesus leaves the end and the amen up to us as a response to the prayer. Because we have to remember prayer isn't a formula. Prayer isn't a script we recite or a magic spell we cast to get what we want. No, it's a personal connection with the creator of the universe, a God that wants to know and be known by his people, by you. And so the end the amen Jesus left open in the instructions as a, as a way for us to simply say, yes, Jesus, we agree. Yes, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yes, your kingdom come, your will be done. Yes, Jesus, give us our daily bread. Yes, forgive our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Yes, let us not stray from your goodness, but deliver us from the evil one. Yes, we agree. And then for the end, what will you say? Well, the early church, passing this letter of Matthew around to the other churches in the first century, as this, this letter, this gospel, the story of Jesus was passed, the early church included a doxology of accumulation inspired by Chronicles 29, where they said, yes, Jesus, we agree. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This was their amen. This was their end and amen. Written in to say that we agree and then passed throughout the church to affirm and end their prayers. And it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. It's so poetic. In response to all they saw God do in their midst, it was connected back 2,000 years a thousand years, sorry, 
is absolutely incredible. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The end. And amen. But I want you to know that this amen, written by the early church, inspired by Chronicles 29, while absolutely true and without a doubt inspired by the Spirit, it is not a prescriptive part of the Lord's Prayer. And even though it's great that we recite it, what I need you to know is that God wants us to pray our own end and our own amen in response to all we see God do in our midst. The early church, this was their end in response to what they saw God do. God wants us to write our end, our amen, in response to what we see God do here. But what does that look like? So nebulous, I know. What should we say? How do we start? As we close our prayers, what does it look like to bring in our own ending? Well, there are likely a thousand ways to say amen with honesty. But if you're anything like me, sometimes it's helpful to have a framework to follow, especially as we get started. And so if you're taking notes, there, there are two quick things from our opening scripture today that will help us bring focus to our amen. And I just want to read it one more time. This is from David, King David, kind of the pioneer of accumulation in worship from Psalm 145. And he says this one more time. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. I hope you see these stacking up. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and they will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, your rule throughout all generations. Friends, if you want to start praying a more honest amen, it starts with these two things. First, we must meditate on the miracles. And we must share the story. Meditate on the miracles and share the story. Start with meditate on the miracles real quick. So much of prayer, of speaking to God, is knowing who we're talking to. Could you imagine having a conversation with someone and having, knowing nothing about them? Like, what do, you, what do you even, how do you talk? This is what prayer is intended to do. It's intended to build connection. It's acknowledging who God is and what he cares about and who we are to him. But to do this, we must first meditate on his miracles, Psalm 145. We must meditate on God's majestic, glorious splendor breaking in all around us. We must meditate on his awe-inspiring deeds that have carried us. We must meditate on his goodness and his greatness that saved us, his mercy, we're stacking it up, his mercy and his compassion his love and his power also clearly displayed in the lives of those he calls family. Also clearly displayed in us if we just opened our eyes. Friends, if we're to form our own ending, we must begin to see God's active presence in our lives. 
We must begin to observe God's movement in our everyday. And we must begin to acknowledge God's passionate investment in who we are and who we're becoming to meditate on his miracles. God doesn't want our amen to come from someone else's experience. I just want to say that one more time. If you're taking notes, write that down. Underline it three times. Well, four times. God doesn't want your amen to come from someone else's experience. No, God wants to hear from you. God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear what he means to you. God wants to hear what you love about him. God wants to hear what you remember about your time with him. He wants to know uh, what you notice about him, the adjectives that stack up, that come to mind when you consider the time you've spent together. This is the end and the amen God wants from you. And so take a minute, just a minute, to meditate on the miracles, to meditate on what you believe to be true about God. When we say meditate, sometimes that, that kind of gets into some weird language, but it's in the Bible, and so we're redeeming the word, okay? So what we're saying by meditation is think back on, reflect back on all the times you've seen God move in your life. What do you remember? What stands out to you? What stands out to you this morning? I know for me, when I meditate, when I consider all the miracles that God has done in me, especially in this season, I'm brought back to four key things, accumulation. And I know you've heard me pray this before because it's how I almost always approach God, both in private and in public. I acknowledge four things. I say, God, I believe you're real. I believe you're good. I believe you love me. And you always lead to peace. God, I believe that you are real, you're good, you love me, and you faithfully lead to peace. Amen. And I'll add from time to time descriptors that shift depending on what's happening in my life, but I always tend to fall back on this doxology. This doxology of sorts. I would sing, you're real, you're good, your love endures, you're faithful. You're real, you're good, you love endures, you're faithful. That's me. That's me. What about you? As you meditate on the miracles of God, as you meditate on the miracles of God, what comes to mind? That's the first step to an honest end and amen. The second is simply to share your story. Psalm 145 says, Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness, they will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell you about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. We must meditate on what God has done, but we gotta get it out of us. We need to share the story. We need to share the story. We must speak what God is like. And I, there's something powerful that happens in any relationship when we when we take the time to share what the other means to us. I think about my marriage. I love my wife. And she knows it. And I know so many amazing things about her. I have witnessed her goodness. I have witnessed her kindness. I have witnessed her intelligence and her courage, her love and her compassion. I have meditated on Rebecca Johnson every day for the past 10 years. 
And it's in here. And it's in here. And for me to have it in my heart and mind, it's great. I'm so grateful that it's there. But it does very little for us for me to keep it in here. For our relationship to grow, I have to share the story with her of how she's impacted me. For our relationship to grow, I have to tell her how she matters to me, how I know she loves, how I know what she loves and cares about. For our relationship to grow, I've got to share the story. Otherwise, it is a, a one-sided theoretical connection of observation, but no connection. But I tell you what, the more vocal I am with Rebecca about the things I love about her and the incredible things I see in her, the more I affirm who she's becoming, the closer we become. The more I affirm her and who she is, the closer we become, which is exactly what is intended to happen and what we see happening here at the end of the Lord's Prayer. God doesn't need your affirmations. God is not insecure. But you need affirmations toward him for your connection to grow. Our relationship with him requires sharing why we care. For it to grow requires that that we share with God what we know about him and what we love about him. That yes, the kingdom is, is yours, the power and the glory is yours that we would share back to God that I I believe you're real, that you're good, you love me, you lead to peace. God, that I see that you're creative. God, I see that you're compassionate. I see that you form the world and you hold all things together. I see you, God, and I know these things about you, doxologies of accumulation. And this is Matthew 6, 13 with the little B next to it. It's the early church saying, I see you, God. I believe these things to be true about you, God. I have seen you work in my midst, God, and I honor you, amen. This is what we see in the last section of the Lord's Prayer, the end and the amen. It's a living, prayerful response to all they saw God do and believe God to be, and you know what? They wrote it down. They wrote it down because they wanted to share it with the world. So the question is, as we wrap up the six weeks on five verses, the question is, what will you share? What will you share with the world? As you meditate on the goodness of God, what comes to mind? As you come before him in prayer and thanksgiving, what will you share as your end? And amen. There should be a prayer handout um, on your chair when you sat down, or maybe next to you. If, if you could just pick it up real quick. And uh, I don't want to break the mood here, but I, everyone grab one and just kind of flick it around a little bit. It's a little warm in here anyway. I love that sound. On the front of this uh, is a carefully crafted context and greater information about what you heard today. Um, from Pastor Manny and Pastor Jeff, kind of all sorted together. And so if you need more context, more information, make sure you read this, bring this home, dig into it. There's also on the back some supported study passages that we went through today. But on the back, and this is really what I want you to focus on, it, it, it just says what's on the screen. Our Father in heaven, 
I believe you are, followed by four blanks, forever and ever, amen. And what I'd like for you to do as we close today is meditate on the miracles of God in your life. I'd like for you to meditate on all that God has done. Think back and then share the story. Write down four observations. And you should have some pens around you too. If not, I don't know. You can figure it out. (laughs) You can figure it out. Um, But write down four observations, four acknowledgments, four affirmations, four adjectives that come to mind to share with God today in prayer. Mine looks a little like this, and you can see that up there. It says, our Father in heaven, you are real, you're good, you love me, and you lead to peace forever and ever. Amen. And so that's me. But what will you say? What will you share in response to all we've learned? What will you share? Let this card, let this be your end and your amen. So I want to give you some time to think about it. Um, We're going to take communion in just a moment. And so the band, if you want to come on up and lead us in this closing song, a doxology of sorts. Um, Also, as a church, uh, we practice what's called open communion. So if you are a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, I just welcome you to participate. This is like a family dinner for God's people. And so um, if you are a Christian, make sure that you... Come on down if you are not uh, following Jesus or maybe you've got some things on your plate and you need to get right with God. I just encourage you to hold off. Um, But practically today, we're going to be coming down to receive communion. And so you can come down the center aisle and make your way back around. Oh, no, I'm sorry, the opposite. Come down the sides, make your way down. You can figure it out. But um, before you do, I just want to encourage you one more time. This is the last thing I'm going to say, but I just want to encourage you to write down your ending. The early church, they wrote down their ending and they shared it with all of us. What a gift it would be if we wrote down our own and we shared it with each other. What a gift it would be. So I just want to encourage you to write down your end, write down your amen. And then tomorrow, I just want to encourage you to do it again. And maybe it'll carry over. Maybe there's some new stuff. I have no idea. But then Wednesday, let's do it one more time. And Thursday, hey, let's just keep it going. Let's be a church that prays, but let's be a church that doesn't rely on the ends of others. Instead, let us be a people inspired by Chronicles 29 and Matthew 6 to go and write our own. Amen. So take some time. Uh, We're going to have some people up here serving you communion, but seriously, take some time. The band is just going to kind of chill for a little bit, but write it down. And, uh, And as we close, let me just pray some, pray over you. Jesus, we're grateful for today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We believe that you are real, that you're good, that you love us and you lead to peace. God, we ask that you'd open our eyes to your presence today. God, that you'd make us even more aware of the miracles that you've done in and around us. God, we want to feel connection with you. We don't want this to be ritual or routine or a script or some spell we try to cast to get what we want, God. We know that you are real and we confess that today. And so when we pray, when we reach out to you in prayer, God, we're doing so because we want to know you and we want you to know us. And so today, God, as we end, this is what I 
confess to be true about you today, that you are real. That you are good in all seasons. That you love me without question. And that you always ultimately lead to peace as you make all things new. Forever and ever, amen. So God, I ask that you would just give us the words to draw near to you today. God, again, open our eyes, soften our hearts. We want to be your people. We don't want to be on the fringe. We don't want to be on the su- in the suburbs of your kingdom anymore. God, we want to be city center with you. So God, we love you. We're thankful for all that you've done for us. We're so grateful for our daily provisions. God, we ask that your kingdom would come in our lives. God, we say that you are without equal. God, forgive us as we have forgiven others. For yours is the kingdom, the glory, and the honor forever. And his church says, amen.